0: James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, To the end of the book, Lord willing. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Um, My my kind of uh, summary statement of this paragraph, I put it this way that open piety, or godliness, should penetrate every area of your life and your relationships with other believers. Uh, Piety, godliness, is that part of our, our relationship with God that actually affects our behavior, that we are actively living out of our faith, and deliberately so, that we don't just happen to be nice people, but we're godly because of Jesus, and that, and we, and we live that way, and we live before God, and we're prayerful, and those things that come through this passage. Um, And also, open piety. I put that word open there uh, deliberately, because uh, many of the things in this paragraph are interpersonal, where like someone's sinning, like you actually go and, and help them, or perhaps you're the one receiving help from someone. So there's it's not Our faith isn't just a thing that is inside of our heads or our hearts, but actually uh, branches out as we, as we uh, interact with one another. And even where someone else's behavior, their open behavior, what is showing up is ungodly, you actually intervene with the desire that their life be more openly godly. So I'll restate that statement again. That open piety, or godliness, should penetrate every area of your life and your relationships with other believers. Along with that, we see in this paragraph several things that we call the normal means of grace. And the normal means of grace doesn't mean it's the, the things that tap us into God's grace as though we earn God's grace. Rather, the normal means are those aspects of the Christian life through which God grows us, or those normal basics of, the, of biblical Christianity that are things that God uses to expose us to the gospel and to grow us in the truth. Uh, prayer is the one that's mainly emphasized here. It's normal in that if you were to go, what are some of the basics of Christianity? Well, prayer is one of those things. not fancy, it's not complicated, it's not ethereal, it's not... Um, Uh, sacramental. It's not uh, uh, this high and lofty thing that we stir things up. It's just prayer. It's the normal thing that we should be doing in the Christian life and it is one of those things that God uses to expose us to the gospel and to grow us in the faith. Um, Singing is one of the things that's mentioned here. And that's mentioned several times in Scripture as we sing to the Lord, we sing to one another, and we are taught by that So it's a means of grace in the sense that as we sing to one another, we glorify God, but we also ourselves grow in the faith. It's one of the normal things God uses to mature his people. Another thing in this passage would be the elders or the spiritual leaders who we have in our lives, that they interface with our lives and are one of the things that God uses so that we grow in in Christ's likeness. One of the things in this passage is confessing our sins, confessing our faults, saying about our sin the same thing that God says about our sin, that is acknowledging it as truly sinful and uh, asking God's forgiveness. One of those normal things that God uses to grow us. Uh, One another is included. So it's not just the elders, but every part of a church community that we have the opportunity to uh, push one another toward godliness and to be pushed ourselves toward God godliness. And then also the rhythm of pursuing or confronting someone in sin and restoring them to a godly walk is one of those normal things. Hey brother, that was wrong. Ah, you're right. I need to fix that. Um, However, that may look for little or big things that we should be challenging one another to walk in a more godly way and be restored when we are sinning. So just woven through this paragraph are several of those normal things that God uses to grow us. And so we should take heed to that. Like, we want to grow. So what are the things the Bible's telling us here that uh, God uses to grow us? Uh, beginning in verse number 13, there's several just, if this circumstance is happening, do this thing. And there's several things that are like that, sort of bullet points of these normal means of, of grace. Is anyone among you suffering? Suffering is a really broad word that just describes all kinds of hardships. It may be spiritual uh, darkness, spiritual hardship, depression, what, what have you. Or it may be sort of a physical hardship, just some difficulty that you face in your life. It's a, r- a really broad thing. If you're suffering, if there's hardship going on in your life, then you should pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And uh, the psalmist put it this way, as he, um, uh, well, it's the psalmist speaking God's words, call upon me in the day of trouble. So the Lord is the the me there. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So when we suffer, we ought to pray. Uh, Trials are particularly good at driving us to prayer before God. I think a lot of times uh, a trial is a big uh, neon sign to us that we ought to be praying. (laughs) And the fact we have our our legs kicked out from under us causes us to be more prayerful because of the suffering that we're facing. There's a sense in which um, it's just something we should always be doing, being prayerful. There's also a sense in which when when you're suffering, you're especially motivated and reminded to be prayerful. Um, sometimes, uh, when a, a trial of some kind drives me to prayer, I'm sort of convicted when I pray. Like, why haven't I been more prayerful until now when I'm suffering? And now I'm praying? <laughs> like, like it, you kind of feel like a jerk asking God, talking to God now when maybe you haven't been so much beforehand. Um, Oh, great, God, I come to you when things are hard, but I don't otherwise. And, and I know that I can feel uh, down on my prayer life when I feel like that, kind of convicted by that, that I'm not pr- more prayerful when I'm not suffering. Uh, and there's something to be learned by that conviction. You know, I should be more consistently prayerful. Uh, but there's also the reality that even if you haven't been particularly prayerful, It's still a good thing to go to the Lord in your suffering, and it's not as though he sits there with his arms crossed going, you haven't been more prayerful, and now here you come when you have a problem. Like, that's actually okay. It'd be better to acknowledge your prayerlessness and go to God right now than to go, I don't think I will because I don't feel like I measure up very well. I don't feel like my prayer life has been as rigorous as it ought. Like, just go to the Lord. The, The instruction here is, anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Like, we don't need to to hedge our bets on God hearing us, and we don't need to, uh, to, to go to God as though he has big furrowed eyebrows when we approach him uh, with a need uh, when we are suffering. And if that is something God places in our life to drive us to prayer, then that's a good thing. He's not going to ignore us. He, he hears us, and so we should be quick to pray when we are suffering. Right, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't ask anybody. Yeah. You're welcome here. This is my Father's house. Yeah. We ought to approach God like that. Mm-hmm. That's, a good, that's a good illustration. He, uh, we sing a song, Come boldly to the throne of grace, and one of them is, Come boldly to the throne of grace, for Jesus fills the throne. Like He's the, he's the gracious one. Uh, we don't approach the throne of grace expecting a, a hard, uh, a hard, demanding Father. We expect that he's a welcoming, loving, gracious Father. He's already died for us the, uh, in uh, Romans 8. Uh, he who's already given his own son, uh, why, how would he not freely give you all things? Like, if he's already given you his son, everything else is <laughs> way less than that. And he, and he has. He's already given you Jesus. So we approach him knowing that he can take care of all of our needs and, and do so generously and and benevol- benevolently, the James right away kind of goes to the other side of the gamut. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, uh, sing songs. The sort of two poles of human existence. I'm I'm down over here, but I'm cheerful over here. And so uh, even in that circumstance, my proposition that our piety or our godliness should mark all of our lives, piety and prayer should mark your suffering, piety and singing praises to the lord should mark uh, your times of joy it's it's literally to sing psalms and uh but we're encouraged throughout scripture to sing a variety of different kinds of uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the lord so if anyone is cheerful let him sing songs i think I, I think it's a good thing if we're whistling or whatever as we go about our day and and praising the lord for what he is doing for us, and acknowledging Him during the times when we are cheerful. Uh, so, in, in, across this whole span, we acknowledge God in everything that's going on. Lord, help me in this suffering. Lord, praise You for the the cheer that I have, whatever it may be. Uh, our our piety, our godliness is before Him. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, and 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 praising. God and finding joy in Him doesn't mean there's not a tear coming down your eye, right? But uh, uh, we can always we can always praise Him. So uh, do that, guys. If you're one to sit here mum during while we're singing, like just get over it and sing. All right. Um, we we need that. <laughs> I'm not. Just so you know, I don't actually notice any of you individually while I'm leading singing because I don't pay that. Specific of attention. So if you're like Isaac knows I don't sing because he's up there. I actually don't know that. <laughs> Just broadly speaking, God tells us all to. That's why he's out of place. But everybody else, you know? that's all right with me. <laughs> Is it? uh but the people around you don't hear it and we sing to one another so uh uh, uh yeah I, I i think you should all just sing out yep just sing out if if you're off key i'll just sing louder to overwhelm you and it'll all work out all right <laughs> uh really uh, so this is just a uh one practical application i uh just to get a little more pointed. Typically, men don't sing as much, um, and, and that ought not to be. Like, our, especially those of us with kids should see that we can sing to the Lord even if we can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I heard recently a statistic on, on the—and uh, this is just statistics. God doesn't have to work with statistics, but statistically speaking, a godly father— is more likely to pass on his faith to his kids than even a godly mother, which is crazy. Um, that that uh, men living out their faith, and and uh, that that makes a massive difference on passing down the faith to your kids. And I'm not downplaying mothers at all. Don't Don't hear me say that. I'm just exhorting us that we live out our faith openly. It makes a huge difference. And part of that is singing. That's just one part. It's just one sliver of the pie. But don't forget that sliver of the pie that that they, our, our families and the people around us see us worshiping the Lord, giving praise for what he's done for us. Um, a, a, another thing, the same, uh, it was an interview I was listening to and this person who made the comment that men really make a difference in passing on the faith. She was also talking about how uh, it's not as though you have to be super stellar at it. Just like average... <laughs> Average, like, being a loving dad or loving parent makes a huge difference in passing on the faith to the next generation. The next, uh, the next, is this situation happening, then do this. We've got two. If you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing songs. Next one. If anyone is among you who is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Um, this is admittedly a, a challenging passage. That's why I joked about that Isaac Friesen was going to solve it for us. is because it's a challenging passage to discern what exactly is it telling us, or to what degree can we be confident that healing happens when we pray in such a way. Um, there's a lot of interpretations on, on what it means, and some of them seem more likely than other ones. Um, and, and it's difficult. I haven't entirely landed, as you'll see. Um, but I'm going to kind of overview uh, some of the different propositions about how to think through this passage, and I'm going to suggest one uh, that is my own, possibly. And, but I, then I'm going to make an application that is mostly not dependent on whether we've got it figured out, how this passage works. How's that for standing firmly on the fence? <laughs> like, <laughs> All right, so here's, here's some various interpretations. One interpretation would be that, that when someone's sick and they call for the elders and the elders anoint and pray, that this is uh, a situation where if you do this, every time it will inevitably bring healing to the person. And they would get that from the emphasis on, uh, it says that uh, he, the prayer will save the one who is sick or the Lord will raise him up. Uh, So that would be a really uh, sort of uh, a person taking this as a a high degree of certainty that if you do it, then physical healing will inevitably happen. Um, There's some problems with that. For one thing, it doesn't seem to be that way in our experience. Uh, If someone has that sort of ability to pray, they should go empty the hospital every week. Like, just clear it out if, if you can anoint and pray and the person is healed. Um, the, Paul, uh, the apostle himself uh, struggled with some sort of ailment or situation in his life, and he did not have that suffering removed because it wasn't God's will for that suffering to be removed. And so it wasn't a, a, uh, a magical thing that even the apostle Paul could heal inevitably, that it just always happened. So that would be one interpretation. I don't think it's a, a good one that every time we do this, it brings physical healing. Uh, One of the ones sort of on the other end of the spectrum, the less sensational, less supernatural side, perhaps, uh, is is that this anointing with oil is a reference just to the fact that, that they would have considered it to be medicinal to anoint with oil. And thus, prayer and oil is just us approaching God and then God using normal, ordinary healing means for you to recover, um, you might need to take a Tylenol, and we pray for you. Like, <laughs> And then perhaps you'll get, uh, get better. Um, and that one has a, a few problems, too. One of them is that the passage itself doesn't actually indicate that it was for medicine. And if you read through the scripture, anointing is typically uh, symbolic for setting someone apart to God. When when you read anointing in the Bible, most of the time we're not going, oh, this is medicinal. We're going, this is sort of a symbolic marking a person out for God or, or setting the person before God uh, in, a, in a symbolic uh, way, as we like a king would be anointed or uh, different things like that. And it didn't have anything to do with, with medicine often in Scripture. So, so it's, it's possible, but it's not a perfect interpretation. Um, None of these are perfect. That's why it's hard to figure out, okay? (laughs) So another another proposition is is that the healing here is only referring to spiritual restoration. So they would be emphasizing that a person in this uh, condition is spiritually discouraged and spiritually disheartened, and so anointing and prayer for them would uh spiritually encourage them maybe bring them out of the depression they're in whatever and that this isn't really talking about a physical healing at all so this person is healed in the sense that they're they're encouraged when they were down um and 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 perhaps uh perhaps that's right uh there's some some things that would commend that view some really good uh, expositors seem to think that this is what Uh, the situation is, but as I read it, it sure seems like physical healing. This person is sick, seemingly sick in bed, where he has to call for the elders to come, and the elders pray over him, again implying that this is a pretty serious ailment, and then the recovery is raised up. The person is, is raised up, or it says that you may be healed, and that if we were to read that anywhere else, we would think physical healing. And so, um, This doesn't seem to quite be a perfect interpretation either. There are these spiritual blessings that are associated with it, though, and so you have to give that credit. It talks about uh, forgiveness of sins when this takes place, when the person is prayed for like this. Um, But even the fact that he mentions, uh, you'll be raised up and your sins will be forgiven, sounds like he's talking about spiritual blessings that are added on to that initial uh, physical healing. It doesn't it doesn't sound like James is squashing it all together, where all this, human, this, this uh, healing terminology is just referring to spiritual restoration. Instead, it sounds like he's talking about physical restoration with spiritual blessings, with forgiveness that comes along with that. Uh, so we're up to, to f- three different interpretations, possibly, so far. Um, one other interpretation would be that when it says the prayer of faith— that this is a reference to certain occasions or perhaps certain people in the church who have the gift of faith such that on some occasions the elders will have a deep confidence that God is legit going to heal this person this time. I might pray for somebody one week and ah, I just don't think God's going to heal this person but, and so that they won't be healed. But sometimes God will give somebody just this settled conviction and, that this person is going to be healed and you pray for the person, and on those certain in those certain instances where you pray with that prayer of faith that God has given you, um, then in those cases, that person will inevitably be healed and that puts a lot of emphasis on the phrase the prayer of faith," and kind of thinks about that prayer of faith as a special kind of prayer that would be different than any other prayer that we would have, a sort of special kind of prayer where you have a higher degree of confidence than normal that God is actually going to heal this person. To be honest, th- uh, this one is is compelling too. There's there's more than one of these that that are fairly compelling. That could be what it is. <laughs> um, but this puts a lot of emphasis on that special prayer of faith when it it seems like prayer is full of faith anyway, and that doesn't exactly have to be setting it apart as a special prayer of faith. When we just, praying in faith sounds like normal praying, <laughs> as we talk to our Lord and as we put confidence in Him. So there's some of the the proposed interpretations about how this may work. I'm going to bring up one other one in a minute. The the Let's walk through it real briefly, and then... Um, Yeah, So okay, so a person's sick. The first thing they're supposed to do is to call for the elders of the church. Um, uh, Let me make sure I'm not missing something here. Oh, okay. Um, This is, as an aside, a reminder that that the elders of the church are more than one, um, that there's a plurality, and that that's the pretty consistent Biblical teaching is that the church is to be led by more than one shepherd or elder or, or bishop. All those words mean the same things in the Bible. Okay? Um, and, and uh, So the, the, the church is, is uh, led by a, a, an assembly of elders or a plurality of elders. And when the, a person is sick, they're to call for these elders to come and anoint them and pray for them. There seems to be some, some aspect of, of physical healing that's associated here, but there's also these spiritual uh, blessings. In verse number 15, it says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. That seems to refer to physical healing. And then it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And this is a reminder to us that sometimes sickness is because of sin. Um, not all of the time, but sometimes it is. And we need to take that, uh, we need to take that really seriously. I, I don't think our culture likes to think about that because it sounds judgmental. Maybe you're sick because you sinned. And yet, Scripture does teach in more than one place that sometimes you get sick because of sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, where they were having trouble uh, with the Lord's table and were doing it sinfully. Paul says that some of them were weak, ill, or had even died because of partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. In John chapter 5, the man who was healed at the pool, uh, Jesus heals the man who's laying there by the pool, and uh, he stands up and walks away, and it says in John 5, 14, that afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. To you. So it seems like that guy had been sick for decades by that pool because of sin, some sin that he had committed that came as a, a judgment on him. So sometimes it is because of prayer, and we should... Uh, or, I'm sorry. Sometimes it is because of sin, and we should take that seriously, that we consider if perhaps we're sick because of sin in our lives. Not always, because remember the blind man, the Pharisees go... Well, who sinned? They, they only thought in black and white. like uh, It was always because of sin that someone was sick. And Jesus goes, nobody sinned. He was, he was born blind so that uh, he, God could glorify himself and me healing him and, and giving him sight. So that's an instance where it wasn't because of sin, but sometimes uh, it is. And in this passage, we're reminded that there's actually restorative power in confessing your sins. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's blessing and res- restoration in confessing your sins. First of all, to God, and most prominently, we confess to him, but also to others as well. Not because another person has the power to absolve us, but because it's healing and helpful and uplifting, and you have allies on your side when you sin and you ask someone else to, to pray for you and you confess your faults to other people. What are you going to say, Art? Because I want to pray. Yeah. Uh, the uh, author of Hebrews says that we're naked before God, that he searches all things. And uh, nakedness sounds shameful and exposing. And it's because the, we're supposed to be struck by the exposing uh, reality that we live before God and that He knows us, and yeah, when we pray, we, we ought to be quick to confess if, we, if, if we're praying at all, then we're bowing to the fact that God's with us, and God knows, like good luck trying to hide sin while you're praying. <laughs> like, it doesn't really work. God is there and he, and he knows. Uh, so there's this, this, uh, this aspect where the elders come, they anoint and they pray for this person who's sick. And there's healing, but there's also forgiveness of sins. And, and this person is not forgiven because they got oil on their head, and that absolves them of their sins. And they're not even forgiven uh, because they went through the mechanics of talking to an elder or having an elder pray for them. They're, they're healed because this whole process is one where they're confessing their, their faults uh, and acknowledging uh, that they need God in their sickness, and that God is the one who brings the restoration. So there's this blessing and this forgiveness that comes through the process of confessing and dealing with sin. And we see that even more emphasized in verse 16, because 14 and 15 kind of puts the spotlight on you calling for the elders to come pray for you as people who are, are, are godly and mature and who you have uh, spiritual input into your life. So call for them to come pray for you. But then verse 16 gets more expansive, Okay? This gets to one another's. And so verse 16 is very much on the same theme, but it sort of just opens up this process to everyone. That confession of your sins is not limited to your elders. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We've got the same dynamics going on here of confession and restoration and healing uh, but coming from one another, not just the elders that 's a good reminder that the elders aren 't the super saints with the tall hats who have more spiritual aura than everyone else, okay but that that uh, every believer should be involved in this. This is also a reminder that if you see something that your pastors have overlooked in helping another saint, you go do it <laughs> like go be involved in in one another 's life and and pray. Uh, for them. So confession of sin is not limited to your elders, and hearing confession and praying for someone is not limited to elders. This is a one another ministry that all God's people can have as they interact with one another. We can admit our faults, uh, we can encourage the sinner, and we can pray for one another. And the result is, is that there will be healing. So again, here is confession and prayer with this time any believer, that brings healing. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Uh, So here, in light of the fact that there, on both the elder side of the equation and the one another side of the equation, since there is physical healing and forgiveness of sins with confession on both sides of it, then here's my tentative idea on, on how I, I might explain the passage. And it's very tentative, and it's not even conviction. It's more like a proposal, like, hey guys, maybe this is what it means. <laughs> okay? And my tentative thought is, is that I wonder if this whole passage isn't entirely about sickness that is a result of sin, From the beginning of verse 15, James has had in view people who are sick because of sin in their lives, because there's forgiveness associated with it. And um, perhaps it's in those cases where someone is sick because of their sin, and they confess, and the elders anoint and pray for them, perhaps it's in those cases that God brings about that inevitability that the will be healed sounds like that that restoration uh, takes place, where physical healing and spiritual restoration takes place, when someone is sick directly because of some fault that has been found in their life. And again, it's not a perfect one, but perhaps that is, is what James has in mind here, is that particular category of sickness that is because of sin. And the, the confession and the prayer is the package that brings the, the restoration On the whole thing. Um, Anyway, there's a proposition. Here's the application that, again, doesn't actually depend too much on whether you have the verses figured out. And I'll just give you an application by way of of how we practice it at Calvary, at least how we have. And uh, maybe we could be better at it, but here's how we think about it so far. And that is, here, there have been occasions where someone called for the elders to come and uh, anoint and to pray for them in their sickness. And when that happens, we're happy to do it. Um, we see that as being obedient to do it. Uh, we'll go there, read this passage. We're just going to do what it says, guys. <laughs> and we're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray uh, for you. And so so at Calvary, we're happy to do uh, this for people. Um be, be free to call for elders or other saints to come pray for you when you are sick and, and we can trust God together for healing. Um, the emphasis on this passage is on the prayer. The prayer is the direct command. Pray over him. And the anointing, it's a thing we're supposed to do, but it's a, a, a participle or a thing that the elders should be doing as they're, they're praying. The emphasis, the, the main command is to pray when someone is sick. But we also, uh, if, if we're asked to, would be happy to anoint someone with oil because it's, that, that's what the passage instructs here, to, to pray for a person. And so we would see that as just a simple, not flashy uh, obedience to this passage, to pray for and to anoint the sick. I can think of one occasion specifically, where the person who was sick had been thinking seriously about whether or not there was uh, sin in the person's life, they were taking it seriously that uh, that maybe it was because of some fault God had found uh, in them as to why they were were sick. And I'm using they to be gender neutral on purpose. But <laughs> uh, uh, so this person uh, was uh, was. Thinking seriously about whether there was sin, Um, the person didn't think that there was, um, and so it didn't didn't seem to be the case where where confession was sort of the key to healing. Um, I also don't believe that any of the elders in this situation had a particularly strong conviction that God's going to heal this time. Um, I, I don't think any of us operated with the prayer of faith in that sense. I don't think any of us had had a, do you think so, a particular dogmatism that God's going to heal this time? We just ask uh, God willing, Lord, if you will, that you would heal this person. Um, w- yeah, so we, we weren't operating according to a really strong prayer of faith idea that, that God's going to do it this time. Uh, God did choose to heal the person, um, and it wasn't immediately or instant. Uh it wasn't even in a way that seemed particularly miraculous from the outside it looked normal. But we give God praise that the person was was restored and they the person got better. I, speak I three, it, the prayer, of faith didn't heal him it wasn't God's will. Yeah, it prayers prayer is always according to God's will. And and we struggle to discern it. I mean, case in point, you thought one thing, another person thought another thing. You know how are we supposed to discern God's will in those situations? Well, we don't know. We entrust God with the with the circumstances that we we entrust God with the person and with their healing, and we trust that God is good uh with whatever uh he will do uh so So our practical working out of this passage. Is basically just the simple obedience to pray for people and to trust God to restore as he sees fits as he sees fit, even without knowing one hundred percent for sure how the mechanics of this passage work out because again i I went through several different things and it 's hard to nail down what are the mechanics here of how this this works and we don 't we don 't really know, but we can we can be uh, obedient to it and uh And again, he he uses prayer maybe sometimes for quick instant healing and maybe sometimes for healing that looks normal and maybe sometimes he doesn't heal at all and we don't know why. But we can can still be uh, obedient to it in that basic instruction to anoint and to pray for uh, one another and to confess our faults to one another and that God will bring uh, healing and restoration through that. Uh Also, like I already mentioned, we can be obedient broadly like it's not just me and Pastor Matt and Gail and matt and pat who who have this passage applied to us it's it's all the one another's have this this applied to us that we can pray for one another, confess uh to one another uh, 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 James uses an illustration to encourage us with the fact that yes, you can pray and confess your faults to one another. And he brings up Elijah. Elijah, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Oh, who's that person? Is it the elite, the, the Navy SEAL Christians, or is it the, the grunts? Okay? Um, what kind of person is the righteous person who has the ability to pray with power? And he brings up Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. Uh, Elijah uh, was called to confront evil king Ahab in the days of the divided kingdom. Um, so this is after David and Solomon and those kings, and b- but before they, the, the, uh, Israel and Judah fall to the Babylonian and Assyrian captivities. And Elijah was called to confront king Ahab, and, and Elijah prayed for a drought, and there was a drought that lasted for three years and six months. And Elijah lived one of the most miraculous lives in the Bible. He had mir- like dramatic miracles going on all the time that God was using him as an instrument in. Um, the Elijah and his protege Elisha, like there was there was sensational stuff going on around Elijah and Elisha. Uh, probably the most sensational peak of miraculous stuff in between, like, the Exodus and the Red Sea and all that. And then there's Elijah and Elisha, and then Jesus. I mean, in that huge gap, it was probably the the height of crazy miraculous stuff going on. Uh, Elijah prays for this drought to come. He flees from Ahab, hides in the wilderness by a brook, and God feeds him with ravens through the drought. Like, that is miraculous. <laughs> Ravens bringing food for him. And then he goes to the widow's house and God provides for Elijah and the widow and her son with with oil and flour that would last through the drought. And to end this drought after the 3 years and 6 months, Elijah goes and calls down fire from heaven to consume an altar to Yahweh that was covered in water to show that Baal was nothing, but that the Lord was the true Lord. So fire from heaven comes down to punctuate the end of this drought, and then Elijah prays, and the rain starts falling, and then Elijah runs faster than Ahab's chariot. Okay, it's crazy. (laughs) And we're supposed to go, we're supposed to read this, that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working, and then James goes like, Elijah, and you're not supposed to go, like Elijah, he was elite. Like, I'm not like Elijah. (laughs) He was the Navy SEAL Christian, and I'm, I'm the grunt. That's not encouraging, but it's supposed to be because James is just going, look at Elijah. God did all his powerful stuff. Elijah was a normal guy. <laughs> he was a normal guy, and you're supposed to be encouraged by Elijah that your prayer can be used by God and that it has great power as it is working. We are called to be righteous, the prayer of a righteous person. So godly people, when they pray, God uses their prayers and it has great power. Right. Right. And so we can pray for one another and we can confess our faults to one another without feeling like we have to be the Navy SEAL Christian. Because even the guy who looked like he was actually wasn't. He was a regular righteous guy and God used him greatly, and he can use us, and he can use our prayers. And so he can use our prayers in healing and confession. He can also use us in the rescue of wandering sinners. And if you think about that, this is a big deal. Verse 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, and wandering from the truth kind of covers a, a wide gamut of things. It could be Wandering into false doctrine could be wandering into a false, ungodly lifestyle. Usually those things go together, or it's kind of hard to to split them apart. Whatever whatever it may be, if a person has wandered from the the doctrine of truth or the life of truth, then you are to restore such a one. Uh, Galatians puts it in that kind of terminology. You who are spiritual, restore the person who is overtaken in a fault. And so if someone is wandering from the truth, and you go, and you're involved in bringing that person back, probably through that process he's just described of praying with them, and they confess their sins to you, and acknowledge they're off track, and you're involved in in bringing them back into walking with the Lord, you have just done something significant. This isn't just a Oh, you know, at least he's doing a little bit better than he was. Or this is this is a, a spiritual blessing to that wandering person that is of massive consequences. Because in doing that restoration, what have you done? You've uh, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. So you've you've had a significant spiritual role in rescuing a person from significant consequences of just going their own way and you've, you brought them back and so God has used you in a, in a mighty way and covers a multitude of sins. They're, they're restored to God, their sins are forgiven, whatever uh, that looks like, like what we just read. Um, you can be involved in that vital role of restoring wandering sinners and of walking with them through God's forgiveness and then seeing them restored. And you have done that person uh, a great, great act of love in saving them from the consequences of their wandering ways. So again, the statement from the beginning, open piety, or our godliness, should penetrate every area of our lives and our relationships with other believers. Um, We will close with that. God... You've given us some simple instructions here to follow. And so, Lord, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity to pray for weak and sick ones, as we have opportunity to help the sinner, or as we have the need to confess our faults and to walk with you, um, Lord, help us to— would you use uh, each of us in all of our lives together— to, to draw us away from our wandering ways so that you're glorified in a people that are walking with you and uh, who are in good fellowship with you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.